Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room, many more we know who are joining us online. It's good to be together in God's house this day. Some of you are visiting with us, and we are really honored that you have come. Uh, that's a, you could have done a lot of things. You came here. We're grateful. Uh, we hope you leave us some contact information before you get away so we can uh, begin the process, hopefully, of befriending one another. I'd love to get to know you and learn about you. You can learn about us. That'd be great. My name's James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Uyan Kim. Grateful to be together. There's several ways in which we can connect and share our stories with one another. There's the hospitality pads at the end of your pews. Uh, at the back of your bulletin, you can use the QR code with your smartphones. And for those of us online, whether, wherever you may be, there's a virtual hospitality link that you can click on and let us know how we can communicate with you and share the ministries of our church and pray for you. As always, please do read through our This Week e-newsletter as well as the bulletin insert. A couple of things we want to highlight for you. Next Sunday is our kickoff Sunday. We have Sunday schools that are starting. We have small groups that are starting. Uh, we also have after 11 o'clock service, more information is on your bulletin, we have usher greeters training for a current as well as would-be ushers. We invite you, if you like to serve, if you like to extend hospitality, if you like to get to know one another more intimately, ushers, uh, greeters are a wonderful way to do that. So we hope to see many of you there. And as always, it is so good to be together here, near, and far. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship.
let us be united as we confess our Christian faith and the faith of the Christian church through the Apostles' Creed found in the back of our hymnal 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. God is good and gracious to forgive as we confess our sins before our God. Please join me as printing our bulletin, our prayer of confession. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we are yet still sinners. That proves God's love toward all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and lo, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, 
for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Go down, Moses. It's interesting if you could uh, travel back in time to ancient Egypt of those days and interview Egyptians, they would say, what do you mean go down to Egypt? You go up to Egypt. Egypt is, this is the zenith of culture. This is the height of civilization. You can go back and see it. Look at our, look at our pyramids, look at our monuments, look at our temples, look at our sphinx. It's Egypt. I mean, this is the greatest. And at the time that God called Moses the Pharaoh in question was Ramses II, the greatest of all the Pharaohs. You would think that if God wanted to get his people out of Israel, he'd come when they had a really weak Pharaoh, when you could kind of sneak them out when the weak Pharaoh wasn't looking. But no, God's got to make the point of we're going to do this while the greatest, the mightiest of the Pharaohs is here. And you go down to Egypt. Because theologically it is down, although the world would say it's up. Egypt is a place, it's, it's impressive, it's amazing. At the same time, uh, it's a, how should we say it, it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> I put that on my notes and I thought, that'll be funny when I say it. It's a pyramid scheme. There are a few at the top that are rich, but they get rich on the backs of the many who are poor. There are a few who really benefit from the way that society is arranged, but it's based on injustice for the many who are down below. For God, it's down. You go down to Egypt. Uh, I um, uh, hunted around this week, and I found, this is kind of amazing, uh, the first paper I ever wrote in seminary was on this biblical passage, the call of Moses to go down. And uh, I pulled it out. It is uh, it's 32 pages long. And I can tell you, I'd be happy to photocopy this and share it with you, especially if you're having any, like, you know, I don't know, insomnia issues. I tried to read it. Good grief. Anyway, I got an okay mark. The thing that I learned in working on this paper, I remembered, is, is something that's in the Bible that I'd never thought of before. <clears throat> and it's this. When God calls people in the Bible... It's so funny. When God calls, let's say, Moses, Moses doesn't say, oh, well, I'm glad you identified that I would be such a great leader of the people. Instead, Moses is like, who, who me? Jessica's going to offer a class starting next week on this very response when God calls, who, me? God calls people in the Bible, and they immediately have a reason why God can't actually use them. God calls Moses, and Moses says, and the Hebrew's hard. Does he, does he stutter or whatever? He's saying, I'm not the kind of guy that's able to go talk Pharaoh into letting his labor force go. God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm just a kid. I'm just like a teenager. What are you talking about? God calls Isaiah, and Isaiah says, I'm not holy enough. God calls Jonah. He's got the best excuse. Like, God, the Assyrians you want me to go preach to, they aren't worthy of your love. <laughs> I like that. God calls Mary, and Mary says, how can I be the mother of this child? I've never been with a man. And when people make these excuses to God, God never says, oh, okay, I wasn't aware of that. I'll ask somebody else. Instead, God says, you know, your inability, that's just not a thing. I'm going to use you anyway. And I put it in my papers. I was proud of this, as I put, it's not our ability that matters. It's our availability. Like as a 20-year-old, I was like, I thought of that. <laughs> I was so proud. 
It's not your ability that matters, it's your availability. And the way I'm putting it nowadays is this. Uh, the secret of life isn't, what do I want to do? And it's not even, what do I want to do for God, but what does God want me to do? God asked Moses to do hard things. God asked Moses to do things he really doesn't want to do. Uh, but it's God. Moses had uh, an advantage in hearing God's call, I think, over us, and that's that Moses lived in a quieter world. Uh, I'm not sure about this yet. We're still um, September 3rd, but I'm, I believe that uh, 2023 will go down in history as the noisiest year in the history of planet Earth, barely beating out last year which barely beat out the year before. We just, it's just a noisy world that we're in. Something's always on. There's always racket. We're actually profoundly uncomfortable with the quiet. Moses lives in a quieter world. I'm doing the series now that I've started, not too late to jump in, called How to Become Spiritual. And I've got to warn you, a lot of it is about being able to be quiet, being able to turn off the gadgets, being able to just... Uh, breathe and we're so addicted aren't we to busyness and to stress and something always being on but the spiritual life's about being able to be still i took uh some of you know i took teenagers i took our high school seniors this summer to the holy land that was great <clears throat> years ago i took our high school seniors to assisi and we did a trip where we walked in the footsteps of saint francis it was great <laughs> I remember the first morning we got up and um, I got the group together and I pointed down the hill. We're up at the top of the hill on the CC. I pointed down and said, we're going to hike down into that valley today. It's a massive, big, huge valley. I said, we're going to walk there. And they're like, oh, cool, let's go. So we started walking and about five minutes in, I thought, this is not working because they weren't talking to each other and they weren't listening to me either, even though I was attempting to talk to them. Why? They had earbuds in their ears. They were listening. I have no idea what they were listening to. And I said, uh, time out. This isn't what I had in mind. Take those earbuds out of your ears. If you have a phone, any other gadget, you have to put it away. There were some moans and groans. But after that, they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try it. I said, well, we're going to walk for the next hour and don't even talk to each other. I want you just to walk in the quiet. So we walked for about an hour. And we got to the bottom, I said, uh, what did you hear? One child said, uh, I heard the wind. One child said, I heard some birds singing. One said, I heard my own breath. One said, I heard the rustling of grass. They were awestruck by what they could hear in the silence. Uh, how should we say it? Uh, would we want to hear God? My notes here at first said, oh, we don't want to hear from God, but the question is, would we really want to hear from God? Because in the Bible, when people hear from God, God asks them to do hard things that they don't want to do. Is that really where we want to go? It's, it, it, it's no wonder, though. Uh, it turns out that the real problems of the world just don't admit of uh, simple fixes. They require uh, hard things, don't they? If you take people that are battling addiction, and that's some of you in this room, and it certainly is people that those of you in this room love. People bad. If you go for help for addiction, the counselor doesn't say there are two easy steps, and by next Wednesday you'll be cured of your addiction. No, no, it's hard. It's stuff that the addict does not wish to do, but that's the way. 
toward healing. God sees people with addiction, and God says, let my people go. And the way to that <clears throat> is a hard way uh, indeed. So many troubles of the world, uh, gun violence, you know, people want to debate this and so on. It came to Chapel Hill, didn't it? It, I was amazed. We sent our, uh, this college senior, those high school seniors that I took to the Holy Land, we sent them off, and a lot of them went to Chapel Hill, and I was getting texts from them the other day. And there were things like, I'm barricaded in my room, I am terrified. So friends were raising a whole generation of children that they don't feel safe. I never felt that way going to school, but kids, they don't feel safe in the world. And the question is, what do we need to do? And what we need to do about this is something that is hard, that many of us do not wish to do. But God sees children in fear, not in safety, and God says, let my people go. There's an article in the paper this morning, I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, about Armenians. Have you followed this? Armenians are being slaughtered. There's a genocide going on right now. And the poor Armenians, they had a genocide 100 years ago. They lost as many people as Jews were lost in the Holocaust. They're having another one in a place called Nagorno-Karabakh. We have been there in mission. The people from Azerbaijan think we shall have that territory, although it's full of Armenians and has always been Armenian territory. So they're just in there slaughtering Armenians. And God looks down and says, let my people go. So tragic. Yesterday, Lisa and I went to a presentation uh, from a guy named Kevin Nye. Kevin is a, uh, Kevin Nye, he is a, a sort of national authority on homelessness. He also, as it turned out, I didn't know this when I went, he's a guy that's been to seminaries who's actually really good at Christian theology and how you put all that together. Kevin Nye, I resisted asking him, are you kin to Bill Nye, the science guy? I just let it go. Didn't ask. He said, what we all know is that homelessness in our country can be fixed. It can be fixed. It just requires some of us to do some hard things that we don't really want to do. But God looks down at the homeless. God looks down at children who are homeless. God does not blame them. God's heart breaks for them. God says, let my people go. <clears throat> the question is, how do we hear God? How do we hear God? God says, go down, Moses. God came down so that people could hear God. There's a going down. When we were in uh, Assisi, it was interesting that steep hill that we walked down. This has everything to do with St. Francis's call. St. Francis was from a wealthy family. He lived in what I like to call uptown Assisi. Assisi, to this day, sits on the top of a hill. There's a wall around the houses at the top of the hill. And in Francis's day, that's where the wealthy people lived. They lived in uptown Assisi. They were protected by the wall. They were around other wealthy people. It was a very comfortable place. They congratulated themselves for having lived such great lives that they got to live in uptown Assisi. St. Francis did not hear his calling in uptown Assisi. What he did is he started leaving uptown Assisi and he walked down that steep hill that I led those teenagers down. He went way down into the depths of the valley and he came to a church called San Damiano that was crumbling. There were lepers all around. He left the comforts of home. He went down to the troubles of the world and it was there that he heard God's call. 
My suggestion to you is you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to be a Christian in more than just name only, you want to hear what God's asking of you. And I think to hear it, you've got to get out of the comforts. You've got to go down. I've tried to think of what would you hear God ask you to do if you're in the comforts. I thought about this. If you're by your pool in a lounge chair and you're seeking God's will, I don't know, you might think it's down to, does God want me to dive in the pool or have another martini? It's kind of all that we could think about. But you get out and you meet the people that are wounded by the world, the people that live at the bottom of that pyramid, and what do you hear from them? And what's your world like when you go down, where you, you could drive to another part of town? You, there are a lot of things that you could do. Do you hear something that's very different. You know, I've been stuck on this thing for a while, and I've told some of you this before, but I just want to repeat it because it just keeps nagging at me. Uh, we have a great friend here in Charlotte named Dorothy Count Scoggins. Uh, Dot, she lives over near Johnson C. Smith. She tunes in to our worship fairly often, and every now and then she'll call me and say, yeah, that's pretty good, James. That's good. Thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, Dot's one of the most famous charlatans. She is featured in the African-American Museum on the Mall in Washington, D.C. And the reason that she's there is that in 1957, before other people were integrating schools, Charlotte responded to a court order and said, oh, we need to integrate our schools. So they, why did schools do this? They did this where I was in Columbia, South Carolina. When they integrated the schools, you have this all-white school, and they send one black kid into the school. Like, I'm sorry, that's not what a brilliant strategy now, is it? The one black girl that was sent into White Harding High School in 1957 was Dot Counts. And she walked into that school and there were press there to cover us. They took photos of her arrival at the school. And in the photos, they're iconic, you can Google it, you can find it at home. Dot's coming in, she looks terrific. Uh, but the white kids all around her, they're making obscene gestures, they're throwing rocks at her, they're spitting at her, they're ridiculing her. It's just pathetic. Those photos of Dot went viral. They didn't use the word viral in 1957, but those photos went all over the world, including to Paris. And in Paris, there was somebody who picked up the newspaper and saw that photo. His name is James Baldwin. Now, James Baldwin, if you don't know, great poet, playwright, novelist, social commentator, a black guy from America. And he, he, was, he got tired of the racial situation in the 50s of America. And he said, I'm going to get out of America. I'm going to go to Paris. And he got to Paris. He loved Paris. I mean, it's Paris, right? What's, what's there not to love about Paris? But he discovers in Paris, he, he's not overly judged by the color of his skin. He finds other, you know, poets and cool people, and he's hanging out, and he's drinking wine in the cafe. It's great. He loves being in Paris. He's so glad that he's not back in America. But then he picked up the newspaper that day. There was that photo of Dot Counts walking into a school here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here's what he wrote about it. There was an unutterable pride tension and anguish in that girl's face. It made me furious. It filled me with both anger and pity. It made me ashamed. One of us should have been there with her. Do you hear that? It made me ashamed. One of us should have been there with her. I've been dawdling in Europe, but on that afternoon, I knew that I could no longer sit around in Paris. Everybody else was paying their dues. It was time I went home and paid mine. <clears throat> Two things about this. 
I just have to ask you as your pastor, because I love you, where is your, are you in Uptown Assisi? Are you in Paris? You know, in America, you're congratulated if you make it to Uptown Assisi or Paris. That's kind of the goal, to be able to live in a safe place where it's comfortable and you're with other people who have made it so well. We don't hear God's call there. Are we dawdling somewhere in our comfort? Or are we hearing God's call? The second thing about that is I love it that James Baldwin says, one of us should have been there to stand with her. A lot of Christians today make a mistake. I hear them. You've probably heard it too. They say, you got to take a stand. You got to draw the line somewhere. You hear Christians saying this. I've done a search of the Bible. The Bible nowhere says you got to take a stand or you got to draw a line somewhere. What the Bible that says pretty clearly is you got to stand with the people that are vulnerable. You got to stand with the people that are hurting. These people get confused about right and wrong. They think, you know, right and wrong, it's a whole bunch of rules. If you just learn all the rules, then you'll be right and everybody else will be wrong. But right and wrong is not a matter of rules. Rules can make you behave very badly indeed or become a harsh, judgmental person. Right and wrong is about being close to Jesus. Right and wrong is about knowing the heart of God and living within the heart and the mind of God. If you're close to God, right and wrong just becomes very natural. And if you're close to the heart of God, then hearing the cries of God's children is just second nature's breaking God's heart. God's weeping in heaven all over these troubles of the world that all we can think to do is politicize it and say, you've got to draw a line somewhere, but God's weeping, God's coming down, and God's asking us to go down, to go down. The God who um, calls Moses, this is pretty interesting. Uh, Moses hears God and He's not that happy about it, but he responds by saying, what? they'll ask me what your name is. What is your name? That seems to us like a weird question. God's name must be God, right? <laughs> but it's a little bit different. I remember when I was in Davidson. This doesn't happen so much in Charlotte, thankfully. When I was in Davidson, a lot of people, when they would see me on the street or at the bank or wherever, they'd say, hey, preacher. I'd respond in kind when I could. Hey, lawyer. Hey, neonatologist. So my plumber, he said, hey, preacher. I said, hey, plumber. It's great. I said, I'm the preacher named James. In the ancient world, there are a lot of gods. Well, what was the name of this God who's asking Moses to do this thing that is going to overturn the whole way that the world was arranged, that the wealthy or, and then the poor servant? It's a pyramid. Who is the God who would ask for that to be overturned? That's what God set up for us. <laughs> and God tells him his name, and it's laughable. This is in my 32-page paper. I didn't get that far because I fell asleep trying to read it, but what I wrote in there is that in the ancient world, if you asked anybody in Egypt or Babylon or people in the Hittite Empire, what's the name of your God? You better sit down for a while. It's a long name, right? So the Babylonians would say, our God is Marduk, the God of the four corners of the universe, the guarantor of who thank God the victor over the Midianites and the God who makes the winds to come. The, the Egyptians, our God is Ra, the father of Horus, the instigator of the Nile, the guarantor of the sun coming up in the morning, the victor over the Midianites. It was like a long title. Moses says, what's your name? And God's answer, it's almost laughable. It's almost pitiful, and yet it's perfect. God says... My name is I Am. 
Like, what kind of name is that, right? Like, I am. It doesn't over-promise, but then it promises everything, doesn't it? The true God is the God who I am. I am with you. I will be with you. What was Jesus' name, right? When he said, Jesus, who are you? He didn't say, I'm Jesus, the conqueror of the world, the Lord of all. He didn't do that. Jesus' nickname was Emmanuel, and Emmanuel doesn't mean the great, mighty, the name Emmanuel just means God with us. It seems like not much, but it's everything, isn't it? That God is with us. God is with us. God is with the people at the bottom of the pyramid who are crying out for some help. And and Moses' reply, it's amazing. Moses doesn't say, well, here are my credentials, Lord. I'll be a, a great servant. I'm sure you'll be glad you chose me. And he stops offering excuses, too. Instead, Moses simply says, here I am. Here I am. <laughs> it's just me. It's like, it's all I've got, but it's all I've got. Here I am. I'm available. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do whatever it is that you need, Lord. And that's what God asks of us, for us to say to God, here, here I am, and to do your part. And when you do your part, you may say, my part is so small, but it can't be small because it's what God asks you to do, right? (laughs) If God asks you to do it, it can't be too small. It must be part of something that is really large. And if all of us could respond to God's call and do our small thing, whatever it may, if every church would step up and do our small thing that God asks of us, then the world would change. And these things that we think of as just endemic problems, it's just how it is in the world. That's why we hide out in uptown Assisi or try to find our Paris and just insulate ourselves from the world. If we just could do our part, then those troubles wouldn't be there. Those troubles would change. People would be lifted up. God's children, let my people go. They would be liberated. They would be freed. They would be empowered. It's all doable. It's all up to us being quiet getting out of uptown, hearing God's call to go down, to be God's people. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Such a privilege to be part of it. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. Holy God, we are grateful that we can come to you just as we are. That we can come to you and know that you are always there waiting with open arms. Thank you, God, for your presence for your grace, for your goodness that surrounds us each day. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, you know the things that keep us in bondage, the things in our lives that keep us from experiencing all of the goodness you desire for our lives. 
So God, we release to you now. We surrender to you. Holy God, liberate us. Liberate us from our pride, from our greed, from our own self-centeredness. Instead, fill us with your humility, your generosity, and your mercy. Help us, O oh God, so that we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Lord, in your mercy. Through you, we know that anything is possible. We know that you, O oh God, can take the ordinary and turn it into something extraordinary. So we lift up to you now the struggles, the pain, the fear, the brokenness of this world. And God, we ask that you transform all that is in need of your restoration. God, we pray for all those who grieve today. We pray especially for the family and friends of Vicki Hammer and Sandra Hardy as they have completed their earthly journey and have joined you in eternal life. Lord, in your mercy. Holy One, we come into this space, your church, knowing that this is holy ground. But help us, O oh God, as we leave to look for the places of your light in ordinary and everyday spaces. Give us eyes to see the divine. Give us ears to hear the cries of the needy. And give us mouths to speak of your great love for all of creation. May we walk in the way of your son, Jesus, as we pray the prayer that he taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward for our morning tithes and offerings, I wanna say thank you for your generosity, for your gifts that enable us not just to worship in this beautiful space, but to go out and serve our neighbors and loved ones in needs. Let us give with generous and joyful hearts today.
holy God, take these gifts and multiply them so that all may experience your goodness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. <laughs> 